Welcome everybody to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham Luis, back once again with the soul man, Brian Solak, that damn dirty duck, Matthew Page, and our very special guest of the hour, the man with the power, the man who's too sweet to be sour, from formerly, I guess, ESPN, Kenny Maine. Hi, how's it going, Kenny? Everything's good. How about you guys? We are doing well. We're doing fantastic. Thank you very much uh, for being on our show. Thank you for uh, your time. We have questions, lots of questions. Uh, Matt, do you want to kick us off this week? Do I do I want to kick us off this week? Yes. Uh, I think Soul Man's burning with some questions. Actually, oh, you first. don't want to ask about the Oregon? Uh, no, I, I I'm 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 hiding that. He we're, doesn't we're, see that. Behind we were me. we were having a good time. I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. We're having a good time. Uh, I, I hopefully not at your expense, Kenny. Uh, <laughs> Matt has a huge Oregon Ducks flag in his background, and we're like, please, please take that down before Kenny sees it. It might bring flashbacks because you used to be a quarterback right and uh oregon was one of the teams you played um oregon, oregon ruined my life yes yes that's where we were going <laughs> <laughs> in fact it's funny my good friend neil everett another oregon guy he's always bragging up the oregon deck so every time we'd be on the air together if he made an oregon reference i'd always answer with oregon run that they didn't really it was you know, one play we i was in the game at the end, we were getting killed. It was a long time ago. Reggie Ogburn was the quarterback for Oregon. I remember that. They were pretty good that year. And last play of the game, somebody stuck their helmet on my ankle. And it's called a fractured dislocation. Mm. And then the next year, um, played one more year at UNLV. And, you know, each year subsequent to that, it got worse and worse and worse. Actually, it leads right away to a good thing ultimately. But, you know, that's a long time ago. It was 1980. Um and through many surgeries later and old age later and you know all the stuff that happens as arthritis sets in and bone on bone ended up finding this really amazing device in in gig harbor washington and this guy invented it for veterans i ended up getting one for me so i could start doing stuff again i just took a little walk with gretchen today and played flag football a week ago in los angeles and played golf all spring long and summer so like I can do active things again that I can't do if I didn't have the device. What we ended up doing was starting a foundation where we give these to veterans who need them who are in similar situations, different injuries, where you're to the point you really don't want to get out of bed. Like, you know, just getting up is no fun. I've done a lot of therapy since where I have pretty decent days. I just need mine to do athletic things. But there's all sorts of men and women who literally need them for their first step of the day because it's so much pain but this device kind of displaces the pressure off your joint mm. and lets you do things you can't do otherwise so i guess oregon ended up helping a lot of veterans walk pain free <laughs> you could say it that way right? <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> nice way to look at it how many devices have you guys given out so far um i'd have to look up on on my computer i think Pretty close to one a month, not precisely. Some of the vets needed two of them. Then we'd go a couple months and didn't do any. So, you know, we're up and down. Our little bank account's kind of a yo-yo, depending on how many people hear about the project, how many people are motivated to donate. Jamal Crawford is our number one supporter. Oh, wow. When I left ESPN on my final show, he donated $1,000 for each of my 27 years there. Wow. So he, oh, wow. he essentially bought three veterans right there. Fantastic. Um, so this is the runfreely.org. Is that right? Yes. The organization is R-U-N-F-R-E-E-L-Y, runfreely, one big word, runfreely.org. Tells my little story. 
shows you how you can donate if you want to. Or if you can't, can't afford it, then, you know, tell somebody else about it. Maybe, you know, the word will spread and somebody else will kick in. How, how does the device work? I mean, is it, can you describe how it works? I mean, yeah, if you go to the website, you can see the picture of it, but it's called an exosim, like exo outside. You stick your leg inside of it and then you strap it, you know, with Velcro, like tighten it down. It's like then a- you stick all of it inside your shoe. Oh, so it. So it's when like a sock it, kind of thing. Well, it's it's made out of carbon fiber. It's pretty bulky looking. Okay. Um, when, it's funny when people see it, they think, you know, like, oh no, what'd you do? Like they think it, it's like a recent. I was like, no, this is the good news. This is now letting me do what I'm doing right now. So, um, you know, and I've experimented with other things through the years. I've tried everything. Horse race trainers told me about this electric zapper device that you know wakes up the tissue and. I used Chinese oil from New York City, from Chinatown. I used uh, this board that you stand on that vibrates. I used light wave therapy. I've used anything and everything through the years. And some of it, you know, gave you temporary relief or whatever, but nothing was going to fix it. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't fix it either, but it sure lets me do stuff that I can't do. And we've had amazing success stories from the veterans and their gratitude's amazing, you know, afterward to, you know, just very humble about it. Just so thankful that, you know, somebody's looking after him. So hopefully um, more and more people hear about this and we're, we're not, all we do is raise the money and hand it over to the guy in gig Harbor and we'll get the next vet. Like there's, we have zero overhead, which is great because a lot of charities, even well-meant charities, you know, they have some infrastructure, they have a building, they have electricity to pay. We just, just me and my Twitter and my wife and a girl named Mara down in South Carolina, who does a lot of the bookkeeping and sends out the thank you letters and stuff like that. So it's very small, but we're making a small impact and each one's kind of a big deal to the person getting it. How, how are veterans in need? How do they get in contact? Um, well, two ways. One is seeing our website. We've had some, you know, inquiries there. Also just literally walk up to me. <laughs> I've, that's, happened. <laughs> that's happened. That's one way to do it. Um, and then obviously the clinic, down in Gig Harbor gets notice, right? People hear about it. They know about him. They're like, hey, is there any way, you know, that anybody's helping support this? Because they're expensive. But it's funny, they're expensive only in a relative way. I mean, if you had to get another surgery and go through rehab and take all the drugs and take the time off work, that's way more expensive than not doing that and using this device. You don't fix your problem necessarily, but some of these problems are unfixable. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty cool. And it sounds like you're building cyborgs for for the future. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. we no, can build dude. them, make them faster. Do <laughs> you do any like, benefits too? Like last weekend, did you do anything for the Super Bowl to raise money? Uh, no, I well, I was part of a greater event that kind of put some recognition out for it. We play this flag football game with a bunch of veterans. Many of them are missing an arm or a leg or both, and we play against ex NFL players. We've done it every Super Bowl. I, the first one I did was the Seahawks Denver Super Bowl back in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done it every year since, except for last year, you know, we didn't go because of COVID. Um, and we also play once or twice during the regular part of the year outside of the Super Bowl, if we can. And really it's, it's just more like raising awareness in general about all these different causes. There's, there's not like a specific thing. Hey, let's raise a bunch of, cause we don't have like a huge crowd. It's, you know, it's just the doing it for the doing it's sake. A guy named BJ Gannum, who has a group called Sierra Delta. He's working with dogs, getting 
veterans dogs or getting dogs to veterans who need them. So that's one of the causes as well. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of good ones. Jen Welter, I went to her event. She was the first female coach in the NFL. She had a really cool event at the Rose Bowl teaching women who were new to football the very basics of the game. Like, start, like how do you grip a ball? Wait, wait, you know, she, how do you she, run a route? We got, to, we got to chuck it around at the Rose Bowl last Wednesday, which was oh, pretty sweet. fun. Nice. Did she and coach at San Francisco? There was one. I'm sorry? Did she coach at San Francisco? Was that her? She she was the Arizona was the first Arizona, break okay. she had I thought, right. and there have been others since. But yeah. the other event was beat or um, Nate Boyer made okay. famous somewhat you know for his uh, Green Beret work, but also uh, he was the one who gave Kaepernick some advice about how to better um, you know use his protest, mm-hmm. and he has a movie called MVP that's not in release yet. This was like the premiere, mm-hmm. but man, it was heavy. It was about veteran suicide and <laughs> it was about the relationship between ex-athletes and ex-military. Both of them are, they've lost their team, right? They, they don't have the team that they were on. They don't also have the adrenaline that they had, you know, for being in what, what they used to do. And it just kind of shows the connection between the two. They, in the story, they tell, how the a veteran and ex NFL player cross paths in in a weird way, and then end up being be, becoming friends. And then in real life, Nate really has this thing going right now called MVP. So um, it's a, it's a beautiful story, the whole thing. So I did a bunch of things like that, and I also made a few videos for Caesars. I'm doing some work with Caesars um, in Las Vegas, where I went to college. In fact, the first trip I ever went to UNLV for like my recruiting trip. Caesars was the first place they took me. So it's kind of funny all these years later coming back to do something for them. But I made some uh, little comedy videos for the internet with Allison Becker, my friend and the actor who was in Parks and Rec and uh, Larry David show and a bunch of other things. Oh, wow. So that was fun to do that. That's awesome. You went to, That's UN- awesome. You went to UNLV. You would have been there in the 80s, right? I redshirted in 79, 80s year. I was talking about where I broke my leg. 81 was my senior year and Randall Cunningham's freshman year. So he was a freshman my senior year. Sam King was the starter. He led the nation in passing yards. I was second string. A guy named Alan Reynolds was third. And then there was Randall. But we knew he was going to be great. (laughs) Now, you grew up here in in the Seattle area, though, right? I went to Jefferson. I grew up on Star Lake, Kent, Washington, technically. I uh, went to Star Lake, Totem, Jefferson, walked on at Washington, then I walked off, and then I went to Wenatchee <laughs> Community College, and after Wenatchee, ended up at UNLV. <laughs> uh, more, were you more of a Sonic fan in the 70s, or did you hop on board with the Seahawks when they started up in 76? Oh, all of it. I mean, I lived there all my life, so I was going to Sonic games, you know, 1967, Oh, I mean, when I was a little kid. So, and my dad worked at the airport. He worked for United. So he would run across all sorts of different people, including NBA referees, made friends with a couple of them, you know, just, just chatting about, you know, their last travel or whatever the, you know, whatever the conversation was. And it came up with a couple of them that they would give us free tickets to the game if we drove them from the hotel to the game and back. So they, they were just trying to save their taxi money. Mm-hmm. We were getting free Sonic tickets way back when. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I distinctly remember standing there, and you know, I'm probably four feet tall or whatever. I'm looking up at 
Wilt Chamberlain and Nate Thurman and you know I'm going way back. Wow. And then obviously as the Sonics, you know, mm -hmm. fell in love with Lenny Wilkins, he was my favorite player. I was so mad when they traded him for Butch Beard. I think it was 72 if my memory serves me right, where in that neighborhood anyway, where Lenny came back to play the Sonics as a Cleveland Cavalier. The place sold out and we we're everybody was cheering for Lenny, right? We we're still mad that they had traded him. <laughs> Me and a couple friends. This is back when your parents would drop you off, you know, out there on Mercer or whatever, and, <laughs> and pick you up at eleven after you know the game was over at ten thirty or whatever. Nobody had cell phones. Even payphone was too <laughs> too high tech for us. It was a different so time. We were, we yeah. were just running around Seattle for four hours at age twelve or whatever. The dangerous <laughs> we got, streets. Yeah, we got sold out of that game. And didn't have enough money to buy from scalpers, so we just screwed around for four hours. Never got to see the game; just heard about it later. But I got to tell Lenny the story many, many years later, and he appreciated that. You know, he had such devoted fans. That almost oh, sounds that... like when Ken Griffey came back. People were rooting yeah. for Ken Griffey, even though he was playing for the Reds. <laughs> Some of the Mariners players got mad. <laughs> <laughs> I just ran across the Costacos brothers' book. Uh, it was given to me at Radio Row at the Super Bowl, and it's amazing just going back through all those pictures. The picture of Ken and Ken Sr. Jr. looks so young. I mean, he was. He was, what was he, 19 years old? Yeah. Just looks like a little kid. And there's another one in there, Sean Kemp and Jeff Ament of Pearl Jam. And I was at that shoot. I was sent there when I was freelancing in TV before I got hired by ESPN. I think it was NBA Entertainment commissioned me to go shoot the shoot, right? Go do a story about the relationship between Jeff and, and Sean Kemp. Jeff is a huge basketball fan, still is. And that was the first time I'd met him. I'd met Kemp previously, but not Jeff. And it was amazing watching him do the shoot and then to see the poster, what is that, 30 years later? I mean, some crazy amount of time has gone by. But there they were. That's awesome. This is a quick trivia question. Brian might know this one. It, Jeff Ament, before he was with Pearl Jam, his band was called what? Are you asking me? Anybody on this on this? Mookie Blaylock. Yes, Mookie Mookie Blaylock. Mookie Blaylock. That's right. <laughs> Former NBA well, player. That, <laughs> that's why they were. They had ten. Ten was the name of their first album. Right? That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> they were called Green River. Yep. <clears throat> Yep. something else my, yeah um, they mixed my, through a bunch of different mother, guys mother love bone they were part yes of that. yeah that was the other one so, i was going to quiz on what was jeff jeff played basketball at montana i i don't know if, how many years he stayed on the team it was one or two years i forget he's told me but i forget and he was a good player i've seen him play, you know seen him play in pickup games and league games that he had but at the time i think he didn't want to put in all that time and not get to play as much as he wanted to play. And turned out he did pretty well at music. So, wow, it, so it all worked out. So he's a Grizz, huh? He's from Montana originally. Yeah. Okay. Did not, you got me on that trivia. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you more of a Pearl Jam fan or a Stevie Wonder fan? Um, well, Stevie came first, so they don't get to pass him up. I love them both, you know, okay. different music, obviously, but I remember it's funny. I was at One Direction with my daughters when they were, whatever, you know, 10 and 12 or 13, somewhere there. And Eddie Vedder was at that same show. I didn't know this. You know, I found out later. 
and he had taken some abuse from some Pearl Jam hardheads, you know, like, what are you doing at a One Direction concert? As though that's been, there's a little daughter, like she probably wanted to go and dad took the daughter to, you know, that's probably why. But I remember him giving this really cool speech soon after that. And I'm pretty sure he was reflecting on that without really saying so. Just about everybody respecting each other's music, you know, maybe somebody thinks they're great. Maybe somebody likes Stevie better, maybe, you know, so everybody has different tastes. You can appreciate another's taste without necessarily, you know, making that your music, but now you say that, but actually, I believe Eddie Vedder's ensconced in a uh, uh, Twitter battle with some other band. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it is. It, is it Aeros? No, it's not Aerosmith. It's um, Motley Crue. Motley Crue and uh, Pearl Jam. I think going I did right see now. something oh. about that. <laughs> I I need to know the context in which he might have said whatever it was they think he said. I don't think he typed something on Twitter. I don't even know if he's on Twitter. I, um, yeah. But I know what you're referring to. I just don't know the details or the context in which it was set. By the way, on his new solo thing, Stevie Wonder plays with him. I was what? listening to Pearl oh, Jam wow. Radio, I think it was yesterday, really? day before, and Bruce Springsteen's interviewing Eddie about his new music. And he started telling the story about getting Stevie Wonder to play for him. Wow. So really? I can't wait to hear that. That's <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. I believe that he's going to be amazing. at Ben Arroyo pretty soon, isn't he, Barry? I believe so, yep. Yeah. It's it's funny. When I, I worked at Channel 11, KSTW, way back when it had news station, is you know, 1982 is when I started. And when I finally got on the air, like four years later, for three or four years, I was a little this, little that, producers, assistant, writer, you know, did this, did that, till I got my chance. And one of the very first stories I got to do was to go do a story on Stevie Wonder, who was coming to town to start a concert series. And I talked the boss into, hey, this he's a big deal. Let's go interview him about, you know, the start of this concert tour. Turned out they said no interviews. All we could do is shoot like B-roll from the back of the, the old gym, the old Coliseum. But one of the other reporters ran up on stage, just broke the rules. So all of us chased him up on stage. <laughs> they can't like, stop all of you. Yeah, if he's going up there, we're going up there. And he ended up doing something of an interview. I was so nervous, and I was the last guy to the scene because we were way in the back. My hand was shaking. I just kind of like set it on the corner of his keyboards. So you hear like, dong, you know, like. like <laughs> he, he just turned it down, didn't get mad, didn't say a word. And years and years later, I got to work with him a couple other times, and I told him, that story. So I said, so I've told people we've collaborated. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. He was like, let's make the album. So Kenny, you were, you were a sports anchor during the, uh, I believe the flagship station years for the Mariners, right? With, with KSTW. Was yeah. it Channel 11 KSTW, the flagship flagship station. Yeah. yeah. Um, showed Matt reruns showed, uh, and Love then, boat or something and the Mariners. And then you left right as they started getting exciting. <laughs> right, right when Griffey gets there, like 89, right? Is that when uh, Griffey got 89 here? was the last year I was there. And I then for a number of years, while I worked various jobs, I assembled garbage cans, sold prepaid legal insurance, <laughs> okay. worked for MCI, selling long distance to companies. <clears throat> and all that time, I was doing freelance work mostly for ESPN because I had interviewed with them before I quit the job you're speaking of. 
So I was still in town covering the things you're talking about, but not daily. It was just, hey, go interview so-and-so or do a story on such-and-such. It was was pretty sporadic. That's awesome. And you still got to be a part of that whole father and son duo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, back when you got out of college, is it true that you signed on with the Seahawks? Yeah, the kid I referred to earlier, Sam King, had an offer to go there as a free agent, mm-hmm. and he was going to go to Canada instead of the time. <laughs> so my coach said, hey, if you like Sam, you ought to give the other guy, which was me, a look. And I came up here, and, or to Seattle, and, you know, people don't know when, when people come in for just going to throw or running a 40 or whatever – Oftentimes it's just kind of thrown together. There's no big plan, right? It's just, mm-hmm. oh, so-and-so's coming in today. So they send me out in the field and they're looking around. Somebody's got to run some routes. Turned out Steve Largent was lifting weights or something that day. So that was a pretty good pickup, you know. All right, good. I get to throw to him. I think Mark <laughs> was there too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I went upstairs and signed. Like it was all, it was like a 40-minute through pretty well. Felt good. I was in best shape of my life other than my ankle issue, but my ankle was not nearly as bad, right? It was, mm-hmm. you're still young, you've recovered from it, you're, you know, you're working on it. But I ended up failing the physical when we got to Cheney. Like I threw in Kirkland for like two weeks, you know, just kind of the informal workouts. And then the first day they put me on this machine to test the strength. I thought it was just another, you know, like running a 40 or bench press. I thought it was some other measurement of my physical fitness Turns out it was a measurement to find out if my ankle sucked or not. I would have cheated. I would have gone hard on my bad leg, <laughs> easy on my good leg, and they would have looked fairly equal. But instead, my left leg was way up here and my right leg was way down there. And so they gave me $10 <laughs> meal money for the Spokane Airport. I had a five, four ones and four quarters from the uh, PA. Flew home and I got hired. I think I got hired by Channel 11 like five days later. Like, Oh, nice. You know, there was an ad in the paper, and I answered it, and Jack Eddie hired me over the phone, and there there we were. Very nice. Okay. So during well during your, your, your break, you just mentioned where a couple of years where you're doing odd jobs and you kept at it. Do you have any kind of advice for anyone who's looking to get into the industry, just, you know, to keep at it and, you know, what things they can do, what, you know, what jobs to look at, look for, I guess? I think you said it is keeping at it. I always said – be doing something, you know, it might not be the thing ultimately that you want to do, or you're not getting paid enough or you you know, you might not like the circumstance, but by doing something, that's one more step toward getting to the thing that you really want to do. I would say really interesting difference between way back to my time. And, and now is just so many more ways you can do it. Like anybody can start a podcast, start mm-hmm. a website, Go cover, make a deal with the local high school football team. Hey, I want to be your, you know, guy and put out a report every Friday night, get the boosters to support it, whatever. You know, there's a whole bunch of ways to do it. So back when I started, you had the three network stations and the Channel 11s and Channel 13s, a couple radio stations that might have been an opportunity and two newspapers or three, you know, Tacoma News Tribune as well. And the local papers, you had the Federal News, the Algona, Auburn Globe, you know, all these different opportunities so there were like whatever number of opportunities right in front of me but you had to go in and get the job mm-hmm. whereas now if you have you know the acumen to do it or get somebody to help you with if you're not very technologically adept um you know start a website start your own thing and each thing you do 
get you a little more, get you better for one, because you're doing something with re repetition, but it also might get you noticed to get you the deal you want, you know, the deal that pays a little more money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so in 94, you signed on with ESPN, but I read somewhere about you, you had some questionnaire or something with three questions and in regards to ESPN five and I don't know, we care to share that story, how you got. How it you was, uh, I still have it. I have that letter framed actually. Um, <laughs> there's a guy named John Walsh. He's no longer there. He's, he's retired. Um, he's actually the one who pushed me to write. I wrote a little story that ended up in the LA times after I left ESPN, he said, you should just own the story yourself instead of having everybody write about what had happened. Um, but way back then he was like, I don't know what his title was essentially like number one or number two, you know, he was up there and they'd been stringing me along as I was describing earlier with all these little, Hey, go interview so-and-so or, you know, do this, but nothing would happen for another month. And I was definitely getting kind of frustrated. Like, is this ever going to happen full time? So I sent him a letter. It said, please check the appropriate box. I'm trying to sort out my future. And the first one said, stand by the mailbox. Contracts on the way. Second one said, uh, keep up the freelance work. And the third one said, we'll hire you about the time ESPN 5 hits. <laughs> and at the time, there were two, right? They just started ESPN 2. Yep. And so they checked the middle box, sent it back. But I ended up getting hired a month or two later. Nice. And the way I got hired was... I don't know how old you guys are, if you even remember, but they started, it was supposed to be like the cooler, hipper ESPN, basically. Is that that was sort of the notion, right? right. And they were going to cover X Games type sports, which X Games didn't even exist, actually. I was there for the very first one. But, you know, more radical sports, skating and snowboarding and so forth, right? Not just the stick and ball sports. So they had Keith Olbermann <clears throat> and Susie Kolber were the hosts. <clears throat> And then they had what was called the smash. And that was the update person. You came on for two minutes or three minutes or five minutes at the bottom of the top of the hour. Just here's a quick summary of what's happening right now. So the smash people were Stuart Scott, Bill Pito, and Deb Kaufman. Keith wanted out of that. And he goes back to channel one to be with Dan Patrick again, going back to the, the main show they had been doing. Stuart moved up to be the new lead anchor with Susie. And they needed one more person, and that was me. That so awesome. the timing of it. And then what's funny is when Keith left, left a couple of years later, that's when I ended up getting a job to sit next to Dan and do the 11 for a couple of years with him. So for any of our listeners who are a little bit younger, they may not know that um, the only way you got your sports, there was no internet. You didn't just go to the internet and get all the whatever you want. No Twitter, none of that. All, all you had was George <clears throat> Michael's sports machine on a late, you know, in the middle of the night, uh, and you had ESPN and, uh, that was about it. So it, I, I can see where, I, I can see where, um, you're right there on the cusp of like this, this heyday where that's the place to get your sports information. Yeah. And that, it, and it really is funny. You, I think I was coming in when things were transitioning, <laughs> where the internet was starting to be more of a thing. I, I can't, ever forget a couple of us walking by we had like three computer terminals that could literally go out to the internet right the rest of the computer terminals inside the building were just like in-house right like closed circuit we could use yeah. the, the local program called basis i think it was called 
and we were making fun of the internet guys like hey have fun with that that's what a bunch of dorks you know, like, we didn't know what it was i was used to newspapers and ripping wire copy off the ap wire machine and you know the the standard stuff that i'd grown up with or learned about <laughs> as i got into tv and whatnot but it very soon obviously you know changed things but there was a long long time where unless you had a friend who lived in some distant city or somehow you heard a radio report, you had no idea what happened with the Cubs and the Red Sox. There, there'd be no way to know. Whereas obviously now we can just grab our phone. So when we would do the highlight of those, those games, it was brand new news to most of the country, right? Mm-hmm. Like they just revealed this game ended because of this home run or whatever the case was. So definitely different eras as far as the importance and the impact and who knows maybe that's why some people adore that time because it was so fresh and it meant so much in everybody's life at the time whereas now you know there's a thousand channels and a million ways to get your information and but I, people still watch right you I, know, if you want to yeah, hear scott and pelt's version of the highlight you're going to watch his show or if you want to watch somebody else you'll watch their show yeah definitely you're talking about having <clears throat> that affinity you know for back then i i have this nostalgia as we're talking to you right now <laughs> where at you know 11 22 or 11 23 i would switch my television over to channel four to watch bruce king and then i would just like click through every because you guys all had your sports around roughly the same time but it was slightly different and so if i just clicked fast enough i could see the same highlight so over what you again. wanted to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's kind of funny now because like, yeah, you, <clears throat> if you missed it, then you had to, then you had to wait. Oh my gosh. You know, it, uh, actually channel 11 might've been, you guys might've been on 10. Was that you guys or K- KCPQ? We were 10 o'clock news and the hour ahead of the rest. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. So yeah, I'd watch that <laughs> and then, okay, I got to wait another hour for Bruce King, well, you know, funnier than that, when I first got there, it was Monday through Friday. So we would joke internally, if there's news on the weekends, it's news to us because we literally had no <laughs> But this is back when I was only doing news reporting, right? I just got my, got my start at 87, I think. And Alice Blanchard, God bless her, was taking law school at night, got through that and decided to go be an attorney. They had a hiring freeze and they had not many choices. I was one of a few that wanted, you know, to move up and be a reporter. And there I was. And originally I, I wanted to do more like news and documentaries and serious stuff, you know, be working for frontline by this point or something on PBS. But when they added the weekend shows, they were like, all right, you played football, you're doing sports. So it wasn't anything that I was seeking. It just kind of happened. You got typecast very quickly. You know, going to Sonic games and Husky games and Seahawks games, it got to be pretty fun. A couple years later, I got noticed by ESPN and took a little while to get there officially, but it happened. <clears throat> were you ever, before you signed on with ESPN, were you ever interested in sports radio? Because that was about the time where KJR started getting, you know, they, they went to all sports. like in Yeah, 90- that's true. I mean, it was definitely a thought, but at that time, I was starting to get directed toward doing it on TV and getting a little better at it. You know, definitely rough at first. We were just making it up, you know, a very small skeleton crew. In fact, one of my 
photographers and good friends from way back, Jan Kuahara. He he just we were just texting the other day. Jerry Hanley, like all the names and and many of the people I'm still familiar with or in touch with, or at least occasionally, you know, we reach out to each other. Rod Simons, uh, okay. if you remember who passed away. Yep. Um, he had moved back to Minnesota. So he was doing like the news part of it, and I was the sports part of it. And we had a couple year run before I ended up leaving there. Okay. Um, I, I got, I got to ask over your 27 years at ESPN, not enough Stuart Scott, do you have a favorite memory or you care to share? I'd say, well, professionally, it would be the, the commercial we made with the little kids. It was called the big buddy program. And um, one of those, this is sports center commercials. And the premise was that we're given back to the community, but Stuart and I immediately become absolute, you know, competitive jerks. As soon as we get on the court <laughs> with these little seven-year-olds, Stuart checked the kid. I'm stealing the ball from my own teammate. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was fun. I enjoyed that one. And also we did the one with Keyshawn and Kobe Bryant, the rookie camp where we're encouraging them to be bolder and, you know, show, show more uh, confidence and all that. I, I do. The only thing I hate about that, I don't know why I was wearing what I was wearing. It looked like I had mom jeans and a tucked in <laughs> oversized shirt. I mean, like, was I trying to comply with some tuck in your shirt rule or I don't know what I looked like an idiot, but the commercial was funny. Uh, <laughs> but the rest of it, you know, we were just good friends. We'd oftentimes play electric football while watching NFL football, while keeping stats in our games, having food, <laughs> hanging out, doing our thing. We're, that's, we're so old, it's, it's, people don't even know what it is, but it's like an aluminum board about three feet long, and you got these little tiny plastic men, you set up 11 on 11, <laughs> turn the buzzer on, and if the base of the defender touches the base of the ball carrier, the play stops right there. It's it, kind of tedious, but, you know. It's the one where I the board rumbles a little bit. Seven years old. Yeah, yeah. Would, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen those. Then it would always break. Of the course. electricity would stop, so you had to just tap on it to make the players move, but... You know what you know. Uh, so, did you have a an all time favorite uh, Sports Center commercial? I mean, they're, they're they're legendary. They're famous. There's so many good ones, but I'm might be curious. The one, yeah, the one I was just saying with Stewart might have been my favorite that I was in, mm -hmm. or the one with Dikembe Mutombo staring at cloud shapes. Oh yeah, <laughs> Carly Steiner, follow me to freedom. It's got to be right up there, and. I'd say of the ones I wasn't in, I always thought the one with Rich Eisen, where he wanted out, he he couldn't hack it, so he was telling the fight doctor to cut him, and you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they made so many. I I've somebody brought one up to me the other day, and I'd forgotten I was even in it. You know, so there were there were hundreds of those. The one I remember the most was the Yahtzee. You're watching replays of the uh, of Ken Griffey Jr. hitting dingers, and you're trying okay. out different lines. Yeah, the premise was. I think it was Dan saying He's, everything's organic. Yeah. You know, it up on the spot. Yeah. We don't rehearse anything. And then they cut to me <laughs> going over and over all these home run calls. And it's funny because I tried to kill one of them that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel I didn't. It's something I was like, I don't think I'd ever say that. Like, why can't we make them more like just use my own? I got a million of them already. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it's not iffy if it's Griffin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. And then I immediately said that blows and hoping that that would nullify it. And instead they kept the whole thing, mm. but ultimately people liked it anyway. So 
I should have just used it. You know what? You bring up Griffey back there in the nineties. So at some point, uh, like when Griffey set the record for most home runs and the most games in a row, I think it's like eight, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but, um, you got, ESPN would actually cut away to stuff like that. Or when, uh, you know, you know, when, uh, uh, the home run derby, not derby, uh, McGuire and oh my gosh, Moon race. Yes. Yeah. McGuire and who, who am I? Sosa, Sosa McGuire. Yeah. Um, you guys would cut away to, to stuff like that. I'm wondering, does baseball have that cachet anymore or is that gone? Are those, those days gone of, I don't know. I think people are, let's see, what's the word uh, kind of ridiculing baseball and, and denigrating baseball right now because of the labor problem. Hmm. If there weren't one, I think there'd be a bunch of stories. Isn't it exciting? They're back. And we, right. It's because of the labor problem and basically saying, how dumb are you guys? Look what football just did. Had the, one of the more popular seasons ever. Amazing playoff games, huge Super Bowl rating. Halftime had a 111 million people watching it or whatever. And you're doing this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how did you not figure out a way? I know it takes two sides. You both got to give in to, to find the agreement, but if that weren't happening and everything were settled, I don't know that we'd be questioning baseball's worth in the same way that a lot of people seem to be. Cause I've heard that a lot recently, like, you know, they're shooting themselves in the foot. It doesn't have the same passion, you know, but if we're really honest, I love baseball. I love going to baseball games. I don't like it as much as football. I think it's not as an exciting sport as football, just the way it is. NBA, same thing. doesn't mean I don't like baseball and don't appreciate all the, the nuances, but you have to be into it. You know, it's a slower thing. You, gotta, you know, just a different pace. It's a different game. But I, there's a bunch of big stars, so I, I don't know that I agree necessarily that we wouldn't or networks wouldn't jump in on some big story. Like it hasn't lost all its luster, in my opinion. <clears throat> uh, for years and years watching you, you made it fun, interesting, entertaining. When I would get home off work, I was like, yes, Kenny Maines on sports center. Um, <laughs> number one props to you, but was there someone you, you copied, copied after Did you have a mentor, I guess you look up you to look up to. I don't or was know it all you. I don't know in that specific way that there was anybody. I definitely learned how to do shows better, you know, just by asking questions <laughs> or getting advice, you know, from the different people that I was surrounded by. But as far as, you know, who I was, what style, because I don't think other than putting on a tie and, you know, being a little more serious for the serious stories and all, you mostly got the same person that you're getting right now or that you'd get sitting at a Seahawk game or sitting on the couch watching, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't put on some act, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that or follow this person or that person's method and try to be like them. It was just try not to screw it up. And then the more you did it, the more confident you got. Like, I think I was never better at doing it in my last few years, actually. It wasn't like ni- late nineties were great and I sucked after that. It was. <laughs> we learned how to minimize, how to get smarter, how to do shows more efficiently. I I would argue some of the shows in recent years technically were better shows. If you're grading it on its merit of, was it clean? Did it look good? All that. Then some of the shows way back in the so-called heyday, it's just that the so-called heyday was the heyday because of what we're talking about that it was, whoa, they're telling us about things we don't know. Right. Where 
now it's old news. You already know the results. I always thought like back in the day, the S was the most important, the sports part of it. I feel like nowadays uh, the E, the entertainment part has kind of taken over proliferated where everybody's got a hot take and you know, it's going to be, it's like, just, you know, show yeah, me the I, game highlights. Will you? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that just about ESPN. I'd say that about a lot of That's sports fair. coverage, That's fair. radio, blogs, uh, podcasts, you know, on and on and on. I feel like that is, there is too much emphasis on that. Like for instance, why was everybody talking about Matthew Stafford Hall of Fame nominee or not? Like five minutes after the game, why, why is that the subject? Why, why don't they just enjoy? The guy had a decent game, made a you know big finishing drive to win, and it just seems weird to me. And that's just one example. Th those things happen all the time. It's almost like, and I know how it works because you know people the show's on at whatever time. The bosses and the producers have meetings in the morning. What are some of the, you know, what are some talking points we need to be pushing today? What matters? And all of a sudden we're arguing about elite quarterbacks again. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I, that's why I always liked the shows that I did mostly the, the later shows. Cause it wasn't any of that. It was just Curry just hit a three and the, the game was crazy. Let's go to the highlight. And mm -hmm. you had that adrenaline for, or, or better example, this last spring, we had a bunch of no hitters. There were a couple. One in particular, I remember our show was with like a minute before the show. It's like one minute to 11. I forget who threw it. Another no hitter. And we had to, in 45 seconds now, totally change the top of the show. It wasn't That game wasn't even supposed to be in the seas. It was some whatever, Diamondbacks against somebody, right? And Probably the Mariners. Instead, we had a minute clock ticking. Tease is about to roll. And we all had to figure it out together, taking the lead from the producer and stay on his word. And and it's that that's fun to me. That was the most fun part of it because that was the kind of the competitive. You had to be good. You had to be on your toes. If you screwed up, you had to catch up. But to have that immediacy, as opposed to coming in in the daytime and let's argue about whether Stafford should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. I think it's where are we even talking about that? He, he's not retiring this year, is he? No. <laughs> Let the guy finish his career. By the way, the Mariners, I think, uh, suffered at least half of those no hitters uh, last year. Yeah. So. <laughs> and a couple perfect games along the way, probably. After I left, I kind of checked out and didn't follow <laughs> too much for the rest of the summer. But as I recall, I mean, it was a crazy number, right? It was like, it was like in just the first like two months of the season. It was it was every it was like three? night. Yeah. yeah. Three or four. It was and crazy. We, we would interview, you know, you get the picture and in your ear, he's doing it. He's not doing it. Like that, that made the show fun. And, you know, there'd be some other nights where less exciting things might've happened. And it was just team A playing team B, but you know, you still found a way to make it interesting or creative. And, and what's really fun. A lot of people don't know. I'd say 90% of the time, the anchors don't see the video until the moment you see it at home. Like we, we don't, there isn't enough time to go back and practice because the game's, you know, eight o'clock Eastern, they're ending close to a lot. Like you, there's no physical way to preview. Sometimes if there's a crazy one and it's going to run later, they might try to have you look at half of it during a commercial break just so you're not like losing pace. But nine times out of 10, the moment the people at home are watching it is the same moment the anchor is seeing it. They got some notes that are given them and you hope the kid that wrote the notes... <laughs> 
<laughs> did it right? Happened. I mean, so, we screw up too, right? Like we, yeah. everybody makes mistakes. So somebody just hands you a piece of paper and you're like, uh, this just in uh, Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have thrown me then. I remember watching that fight with Jesse Jones at oh, Jan wow. house. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's still 80, around. 88, 89, 90, 88, 88. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just remembering the scene in Anchorman where, uh, Will Ferrell's character <laughs> read the teleprompter and even the swear word <laughs> to, yeah. to, the, to the city. That's um, happened. You know, just told what to say. <laughs> no, we, and that's another thing that's a mis mistaken notion. We rarely, I'm speaking for ESPN experience, mm -hmm. I don't know about other places, almost nothing is in the teleprompter. Like, like say you're going to do some big dressy lead, a feature story about a player or a situation, you would write that you know, five or six o'clock at night and save it in the computer and comes time to read it. And you'd read, you know, by staring at the computer or um, at the prompter, but the whole rest of the show is either ad lib or off of notes, you know, mm -hmm. what they call shot sheets. So people always get that wrong that, Oh, he's just out there reading a teleprompter. Like, Oh, there's nothing to read. Cause you didn't, you only write like three or four things. And the rest of it's all coming in. It just happened. They hand you the sheet that accompanies the highlight. And you try to, how do you say that guy's name? You try to say that really fast and, and not screw it up. <laughs> and I got smarter and smarter where if you didn't know how to say the name, there's there are ways to not have the problem of saying his name. <laughs> when I did the Olympics for Peacock, I mean, we were getting, it was crazy how much material was coming through. And you would just say, hey, the Romanian volleyball team, they're team players first. They don't like individual achievement. They don't even want the name said, you know, just kind of make a joke of it. But you're supposed to know the NFL. You're supposed to know NBA. Yeah. Major League Baseball is hard because there are so many fluctuations on a lot of the teams, right? Guys get sent down, come up, like, who the hell is that guy? Like, But, you know, the more you do it, it just, you know, just kind of bleeds in, right? Yep, yep. I, I gotta ask. Gotta go back. Go back to 1998. You were in the movie Basketball. What was it like working with the creators of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Oh, it was great fun. We, you know, can't say we, it was like intimate working relationship. It was kind of like everybody met everybody who's there running it, and after that, we went to our position and just started shooting. You know, what I'm saying it wasn't like any big, you know, breaking down. You know, the the theme of what we're doing is like go do it. I thought it was a funny scene. It was like, it's one of those weird cult movies where the, some people just think it's the greatest thing ever and other people think it's the dumbest thing ever, but you still get many times a year somebody makes a reference to that whole bit, you know, about the two-man sack race and we're, <laughs> we're breaking down with the playoff tiebreaker scenarios, I believe what it was. I did one more recently where I got cut out of, it was Trainwreck, Judd mm. Apatow. Okay. And my they flew me back there they claimed they liked it i mean it felt like as we did it it all worked everybody was you know laughing at what they were supposed to laugh at but ultimately it didn't work for the flow of their movie so they killed it but i'm in the dvd extras but oh. there was no script it was just like hey go hit on amy schumer it's like really like <laughs> yeah just act be kind of a jerk be a little creepy not too much I was like, okay. So I think I said something like, uh, she, the, the premise was Bill Hader 
is who she's dating, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She ended up getting some award at a Doctors Without Borders event. Yeah. And she's left alone the whole party and, and you know, just so I walk up and I said, uh, are you a are you a prostitute or a doctor's <laughs> wife? Is there really a difference? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't leave that in. They should have left that in. But a- afterward, and that's no offense to prostitutes or doctor's wives. <laughs> what's the funniest, stupidest thing I could say right then? Because they, like I said, there was no script. They're just do whatever you want. Just, yeah. just be weird. Just, <laughs> you know, staring at her. And, and so I'm like apologizing to her after. It's like, dude, like it takes a lot to offend me. Like, I think Amy Schumer can probably one up that, no problem. Uh, Yeah, no, (laughs) but you know, I wouldn't typically say that to a girl. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Particularly like in that setting, but it was a movie. It was pretend. So, yeah, they should have kept that in. That's good. I like that. Tony Romo and uh, Amari Stoudemire were there. We shot another scene that didn't make it as well. So, whatever. It was. It was like good fun. Be nominated. Uh, Brian, thanks for that question, but I thought you were going to go to the Dancing with the Stars. Oh. <laughs> because, Kenny, you were on that, too. Is that a is that a sore spot? Well, oh. <laughs> I kind of checked out on them once they helped rehabilitate Sean Spicer. But uh, separate from that, <laughs> way back when, it was just started. They'd only done it one time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was over a summer, in fact. And so they were going to bring it back, I think, was it November, January, whatever it was. Uh, what I remember about it is getting kicked out, and then the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh right afterward. That's the timing of it all. 2006. Yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, right. Beginning of 2006. I still can't remember. Was Did I do the Super Bowl, then go dance, or did I get kicked off, then Super doesn't matter. Same same month-ish time frame. Mm. And I thought I was misjudged. I, I was definitely not very good, but I don't think I was the worst. So it worked to my benefit, though, because then being kicked off and kind of being laughed at for being one of the worst brought me into some more shoots with them. Jerry Rice and I did uh, like this little fake sports cast for, gosh, I don't know, six, seven years. Like every season they'd have us back again and we would kind of do like a fake as though sports announcers are breaking down you know the, the merits of the dancers and all. so it was fun and and getting to work with jerry and len and all those folks it, i enjoyed it no matter how bad i was viewed for my short little performance so you got kicked off that show and then kicked in the pants as a seahawks fan watching that super bowl yeah that was <laughs> that was weird i was just talking about that game the other day it was such a strange didn't, did Roethlisberger win MVP and he was like 7 of 18 or something? I mean, he wasn't even any good in that game. And that touchdown was weird. Was it to Heinz Ward? Heinz Ward threw a touchdown. I remember that. Um, I just remember that, what was it, like 10 years later, the ref actually came out and said, yeah, we kind of screwed that one up. Yeah, there's a lot of weird calls, a lot of drop balls. It was it was not good. I The part I did not like was that they practically crowned Jerome Bettis before kickoff. And it's like – yeah. Come on, you know there's two teams playing. Like, can you talk yeah. about the Seahawks for a yeah. minute? That was a downer. The <clears throat> New Jersey game was good. I was also at the Arizona game. I still contend, because everybody's like, you should have given it to Marshawn. He might have scored, and he might not. They were in goal line defense. He's been mm-hmm. stopped before. He's a great runner, great player. But every you know, there's all sorts of great running backs who can't get one yard, right? It's happened many times. I would have faked 
to Marshawn. It's second down. Rolled left, short side. Throw it away, throw a touchdown, dive in, do something. I think they still had one timeout, didn't they? Yeah. Yep. It was like a minute and 10 or something like that. They had one timeout left. I was under I was, had three it was, downs. It was under a minute. It was under a minute. But well, yeah. on first down, Marshawn carried it from the six to the one, right? Yeah. That's another play to look at. Like, is there any chance? That was a great stop to stop him there. But Gretchen and I were there. We were so certain the game was over and that we were winning. All I could think of is, hey, run one play. Let's get that clock going. We don't want Brady to have too much time. And then the ball got intercepted. Like, what? What just happened? Like, I couldn't even believe. Are you kidding me? That we that cannot be even true. Malcolm Butler did what? And I didn't like anything about the play. Not necessarily the bad call, because had they caught it, we'd all be saying, "What a genius Pete Carroll was!" You know, <laughs> on a slant from the one yard line. But all of it was weird. Browner, I can see the whole thing. Browner kind of stuck into curse. Curse then was wide open, going to the corner. Lockett, I thought, was a little slow to be not be aggressive enough. Russell might have looked too soon. Anyway, there wasn't anything good about the play. The whole play is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So run my play. Fake to Marshawn, which is what they expect. Who knows? Mar- Russell might have just run in naked. You never know. Yeah. And th- the other problem I had was uh, Lockett was a fourth string receiver. You know, why are you throwing it to. That, that throws special teams ball. guy. Why are it's, you throwing to him? Yeah, you got to throw it to Baldwin, yeah. is my thought. Oh, he wasn't like a bad player at all. He was no, he's player. not bad, but. But I agree. Where's. There's a bunch of other guys yeah. that are. Yeah, we're going back through it. Um, yeah, we're gonna move on a little bit. I know, I know. Uh, the Soul Man wanted to ask you. I don't know if he's back on. He was having connection issues, uh, so I'll ask for him. Uh, he wanted to ask you about your sign off uh, with Aaron Rodgers, and uh, <laughs> well, that joke where that came from, I guess. <laughs> I think I was driving around, you know, a couple days before. It was, all of it was kind of surreal because I had announced that I'm leaving, but I still had eight shows to go. It was like May 10th is when I had my talk with ESPN that it wasn't going to work out. But I told him like, Hey, if you want to kick me off, kick me off, but I'm not going to be the one to say that I'm not going to fulfill what I signed up to do. Cause really I'd just be screwing over John Anderson or somebody would have to come in five more times. Right. Mm-hmm. So I should have lived up to, I was on the schedule. We put out schedules every month and I had, I forget if it was seven or eight shows to go. So obviously I'm thinking about the countdown as I'm doing these other shows. And it just came to me a few days before of something that pretty absurd. I could say if he comes on, because he had in the last interview I'd done with him, told me to get into crypto, which I did not in a huge way. I put a small investment and it immediately went down. (laughs) It was just like a perfect, Hey, thanks a lot for the crypto advice. It's gone down 40%. Also, I just got fired. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> it, it, and I didn't have any notes for that. I was doing all those interviews, different parts of the floor. Mm-hmm. And I just had to remember, I almost screwed up and forgot it. I, I just kind of <laughs> had it in my back pocket. But all of it was was fun. Marshawn coming on, Jamal Crawford, Sue Bird, Fred McGriff. And Marshawn's Wi-Fi sucked. He was worse Wi-Fi than whatever Brian has going. Like it was... <laughs> well, Brian's consistent in black. Marshawn was, like, was like frozen. Then he'd be talking. Then he wouldn't. And you know what I mean? When it's just yeah. 
but it somehow came together right when we needed it because we were trying to tape all that. My pitch was, what if I bring these people on and then say, hey, hold on, we're going to cut to the Marlins Cubs for you here and then do a baseball <laughs> highlight, then come back to them, but they wouldn't go for that. So That would have been great. <laughs> you know, uh, so with you and Aaron Rodgers, uh, Aaron Rodgers, in pro wrestling, they'd call that, uh, you know, when you're just playing around at work. Was it a work or were you actually serious? Like, I want my money back. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't know I was going to do that. <laughs> and it was all in fun. It was okay. to be slow. Yeah. We awesome. got Brian back. We got Brian back. Yeah. Wi-Fi has returned. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> uh, so we're getting towards the end of the show, but I know, uh, I know Brian, you wanted to ask him about, uh, about leaving ESPN, right? Well, he, yeah, we, he just missed the story about Aaron Rodgers, but I'll, yeah, I'll have to hear it on playback. Sorry yeah. about my crappy <laughs> internet, <laughs> I, I, but I have one final question. If you guys didn't already ask it, which besides Aaron Rodgers, what's your favorite, your, give me an example of your favorite, a favorite interview of all time you've had. It doesn't have to be at the ESPN. Um, by far, the, I was, oh, did I lose you? Stevie wonder. I told a different Stevie wonder story earlier, but at ESPN, Got to interview him twice. Um, once was that Super Bowl, and because he was the pregame music, Rolling Stones were the halftime music, if you remember. Mm -hmm. um, but we were going to do one of those baseball all star games, and it was going to be in Detroit. He's from Saginaw, Michigan. So I talked to my boss into letting me go down to a concert in Philadelphia to try to get him, and took about 12 hours of perseverance. But I got him to say, I can't be at the baseball all star game. I have a high ankle sprain. <laughs> he nailed his one line. It was funny because I, I didn't have any credential. I had this flimsy little pass that got me to a tent like six blocks from the concert, like to watch it on <laughs> monitors. And I just kept upgrading as the day went on. I ran into some Teamster. He had an extra lanyard. Next thing on backstage. And at one point, I was standing outside his trailer trying to get to his people to ask if he would do it. And they were waving people in, like Will Smith got waved in, and then Natalie Portman got waved in. And five minutes later, they're looking right at me, big smile, like, come on in, meet Stevie. And I was, I'm like, how, they, how does they know, how do they know me? <laughs> I was like, Whatever, I, I took like half a step forward, and Don Cheadle walks by me. They were waving to him the whole time. <laughs> but I still didn't quit. I found his guy, told him the bit. <laughs> he said, you stand right here after it's over. He'll either do it or he doesn't, you know, you get to explain it to him. And I explained it. He thought it was funny. And he did it. Awesome. I'd uh, say second place was the Dale Earnhardt Daytona 500. <laughs> and I wasn't the biggest auto racing guy going in, but grew to like it and, and got to meet a lot of good people and, and getting to be there for his 500 win was pretty cool. Oh, that's, that's cool. All right. Well, we're getting to the end of the end of the show here. And uh, I know we're, I know Brian's in and out on uh on that Everett Washington internet uh, out there in the boonies. Um, but, <laughs> oh, he's we, in the boonies of Everett. I'm in downtown Everett. I got fine internet. So I don't know what he's talking about. I saw this, the storm up there this last, uh, whatever it was, June or July. I went to a game up there. Glad to see they're in the big gym this time around, but nothing against what was the name of that place up there? Is the uh, something Xfinity? Wins? No, not Xfinity. Angel of the Winds. Yes. Yeah. yeah Angel no, the Winds nice. Arena. I mean, the new joint is nicer, but it was, it was great that they could house them there and, and have a good season. Great. All right. Well, th this is, uh, we're at the end of our show here and this is the section where we, 
always try to end on a positive note. And Kenny, what we'd like to do is everybody, we'll just go in a round robin and everybody will just, you know, give a shout out to a person, place or thing or something that, uh, uh, that, you know, they, they enjoy in life or, uh, uh, you know, want to make sure to, uh, uh, put out their, put out their positive into the universe. Um, and for Brian, since he's, uh, uh, bouncing in and out, he's, uh, he wants to thank Kenny for joining us and he's going to shout out to uh, Wazoo and Seattle, uh, university baseball, uh, who starts up this weekend. And, uh, Matt, uh, I'm going to hand it off to you. Uh, my shout outs to my brother-in-law, Jason. Uh, he turns 50, uh, this week and, um, I know he's a big fan of uh, Sports Center as well in the past, so I, I think he's going to have a fun time listening to this, hopefully. Great. My shout-out is to my cousin's son. I guess that would be my cousin, second cousin? I don't know. Um, but he's getting married this week, this next weekend, so uh, I'm happy for you. Um, Kenny, would you Doesn't care to give a shout-out? Well, I would <laughs> plug my foundation. I'm going to do three of them then. Do it. Go We're for it. it. Some people join late, so we got our foundation for veterans, runfreely.org. Uh, and I'll do two others out there. There's one called Growing Veterans. They're doing good work up near Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got Uplift Northwest, which used to go by Millionaires Club, but they're helping get some folks off the streets and, and getting them back into society. And Northwest Harvest. So I'll do a bunch. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, like Kenny said, check check out uh, check out the runfreely.org and uh, give. That sounds like a great charity. I'm glad Absolutely. you're doing that. And um, uh, also, when you're at, uh, did you say Caesars? If you're ever at Caesars, uh, down in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're working the books. You're not, you're not actually working the books, right? You're doing. I'm not behind the window. <laughs> I mean, I might. I might. You know what's funny? That's one of the bits we might do. Is Bobby Flay said I could be a waiter at his restaurant? Oh, that'd be funny. Like, put a mic on me and let me go wild. So that's essentially what I'm doing. I want to be in the restaurant. That'd that be night. hilarious. I'd love that. <laughs> be a free fish or something. But thank you, Kenny Main, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is the Seattle Sports Union. Uh, On behalf of Brian the Soul Man Solak, Matthew the Dirty Duck Page, and myself, Abraham Deweese, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, guys. It was good.